Warning, this episode has explicit content not suitable for anyone under 18. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Luis, a.k.a. Truth.com, a.k.a. Listen to my shit. And today I'm here with... Gallo, the chivalrous chauvinist. I'm host of Sucias Are My Favorite. That is such a great name that like stuck with me, especially because people know me as Sucio. So when I saw Sucias Are My Favorite, I sent it to my girlfriend <laughs> right away. And she's all like, I love it. Now... I'm reading this from your own words. It says you're a widower, former sex yeah. addict, current dom and kinkster who gives out life, relationship, dating, and sex advice with a kink twist. I wanted yeah. to start with that. Your relationship advice with a kink twist. What do you mean by that? So you, you basically touch on it on your show. You've, you mentioned it a couple of times in the last two or three episodes about you know having communication in your relationship. And that's really the basis of all... Uh, kink relationships is before anything ever happens with between two kinksters, they're going to know what they like, what they don't like, what they're interested in, what their limits are, and what their safe words are. And so with relationships, the, the biggest thing I've noticed or, or one of the top reasons for um, breaking up is, um, you know, incompatibility or, um, you know, not being the same person. But really, if you break it down, they just don't communicate with each other and don't talk to each other. And it's also stuff in the bedroom, like most couples, most people, whenever they're dating or hooking up, you know, the only sex talk that non kinksters or vanillas have is, oh yeah, baby. Yeah. Harder, harder, faster. And that's about it. Like you might tell her, Hey, yeah, call me daddy or, or something, but it's never more than a sentence that, you know, you tell your partner what you want them to do or what they want you to do. And you know, if you have sat down and have a conversation about the things that you want to do, you're more sexually satisfied and you're more open to try things for each other, not just in the bedroom, but outside of the bedroom and your relationship will be better and stronger because of it. So that's what I mean by a kink twist, but it's more of a clickbait thing to get people to like, oh shit, what's he talking about? Let me go check it out. But you know, it's fairly simple. You know what? I, I did kind of get that because I was listening to your show all day today and watching it uh, thanks to Spotify and yeah, I was expecting a lot more kink, which you do have it in there, but it's just mostly advice, which I love. And it's great advice, by the way. So I was like, I'm waiting for the kink twist, but I, I can hear it. I can hear you got it in there. But yeah, I, when you said a little bit of a, uh, you know, I feel like you catfished me a little. I was like, damn it, I want a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's clickbaity. It's catfishing. It, it's just, you know, but then again, I'm also not advertising for shit. And I still only have like 20 listeners, 20 followers. So I need to do better with that. And, you know, I, I do need to go back into like my kink roots and talk more about kink. But uh, for the most part, I think everybody that's listened so far has liked what I've done with what I've been doing, you know, especially with the advice and keeping them short. That's another thing that I did. Like, I felt like I consumed more of your you know, of your shows because of it. I was I was able to listen to, I think, like five in a row because it was so short. And then every one of mm -hmm. them kept it fresh. And I, if I would have been a long five-segment episode, I might have got bored with it. But you're right. The short segments really do work for you. Yeah. I, I did have a couple, or I do have a couple like early on that are hour, hour and a half. And those are usually the interviews. And those, I like those, but only if, I ha if the uh, guest has like a big enough following or a big enough um, fan base, then people listen to you can also pay attention to the analytics. And so like with anchor, it'll show you how long people listen, when do they drop off? And so if I do a solo hour long episode or more, everybody drops off at about 30 to 40 minutes. So I said, you know what? I need to keep them under 40 minutes to uh, work with the algorithm or whatever. Plus with, um, 
doing videos on YouTube, I found out that anything over 15 minutes, unless you're like Mr. Beast or Joe Rogan, no one's going to stick around that long. Like the, the sweet spot is like 14 minutes, 50 seconds. So keep it under 15 minutes and you can do better on YouTube. Yeah, I can I can see that because we do have historically some episodes that are damn near three hours that we lost retention. Because I look at analytics too. Just this week alone, I made a spreadsheet with my top 10 episodes and what, you know, I was trying to look for what was the, what did they have in common? What was the major differences? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I did notice that for us, an hour and 20 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes with three co-hosts is like the sweet spot for us. Yeah, with three with three people, yeah, it definitely keeps it interesting. With one, or at least for me, with one person, it's like, why is he still talking, you know? And actually, um, one of the reasons why your podcast captured my attention so much was because just last night, I stayed up to like three in the morning recording like a solo podcast. I sat in front of my laptop. I actually scripted it out, and I wrote forever. And I'm sitting here going, I think I'm doing too much. When I went to record it, it was four minutes long. I was like, <laughs> I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, and that was before yeah. I edited it out. I was like, fuck. Yeah, no, I, I had a couple of those where I, I think, oh, yeah, man, I've got a good outline or a good script or whatever. And then I read it and like, that was seven minutes. <laughs> fuck. And and that accounts my intro. <laughs> fuck me. Basically, exactly. But let's get to the juicy of it because I know my listeners are yeah, yeah, yeah. muscles and they want to know all this good shit. Now, you did say you were a sex addict and you did say you were a dom and a kinkster. Mm -hmm. My question is, mm -hmm. which one came first? Oh man. Um, actually the, the, the sex addict came first, but I didn't realize it until, so I, I started getting it in, in 96 and I realized I was a sex addict in 2010. I became a kinkster in 98, like middle of 98, early 98. And that was just kind of by happenstance. I was hooking up with this one chick and with her, we started going to swingers clubs just because she loved seeing me getting it in with other women and, um, and, and she was great at picking up women, like outside of swingers clubs. I mean, she, this chick, she had so much game. I wish I'd paid attention, not for myself because I, I got my own game, but because when I was with my wife, um, she was used to everybody trying to pick her up. So she didn't know how to pick up other girls. And so it was just like our threesomes were just more of like those accidents or foursomes or whatever we had instead of being able to just go like go hunting, you know? And, um, anyways, with that, uh, unicorn that I had back in the nineties, we'd, we'd go to the swingers clubs and it was like, okay, yeah, whatever. I wasn't emotionally invested in her. So it didn't matter to me if, uh, you know, other guys were fucking her. What really turned me off also about the swingers lifestyle or the lifestyle back then is that, um, most of the other couples were like 35 and up. There was maybe two or three others that were like also in their twenties. Like we were, I was, uh, 18 and she was 21. And so we were the youngest there and everybody wanted to fuck us. So that, that was, that was a fun part of it. But it was also just like ugh, old people and gross and overweight and didn't take care of Like if they were in shape, it would have been a bit of a thing. I might have probably been more into it. But uh, the swingers clubs in Houston, there were four or five at the time. And so every weekend, every Saturday or every Sunday night, uh, one, you know, one Sunday a month, each one would have a, a kink club or a kink party, a fetish party. And one night we just happened to stroll in on that. And I was like, oh, shit, this is my jam. And met up with the uh, the dom and started talking to him, kind of went under, got under his wing, learned a whole lot about the history of BDSM and, you know, learned how to do things. I didn't learn the terms like it wasn't actually until this past couple of years with COVID, with TikTok and stuff where like, you know, oh, this is what aftercare is like, oh, OK, so that's what I've been doing. You know, all these different things that I've been doing for 20 plus years 
is like, okay, now I know what those are called. And so it's, it was kind of refreshing in that sense of like, okay, Hey, you know, I'm still doing these things. And I also get, how can you be a former sex addict and still be a dom? And you know, like they, they just doesn't sound like it coincides. No. And so now I don't have sex just to have sex. I have sex to, you know, in, in terms of trying to gain or be in a relationship, I don't just hook her up, hook up with random chicks to, uh, just boost my numbers anymore. It's not like, okay, I need to get it in. It's, it's good enough for me to meet a chick and, you know, know that she wants to get it in. Like, that's good enough for me. I don't actually have to do it anymore. That's interesting. Now, do you think that happened just because of, you know, your sexual addiction and all that dumb stuff or just maturity? Cause the older I get, I feel like even though I have a girlfriend now, but before I met her, I felt like I didn't need to boost my numbers. And I felt like if I was going to have sex, it was going to be with somebody I cared about. I was done with the hookups. They felt empty. So which one was it for you? So for me, you know, I, I, I knew I felt empty afterwards or whatever. And I still didn't care because in my addiction, it wasn't about boosting numbers. It was just about feeling better about myself in the moment. Even if it was just that, you know, that quarter of a second boost, you know, after you nut or during your nut, uh, you know, that that's all that mattered to me was just getting that, that shot of oxytocin to feel better about my day because I had a bad day because I didn't get a raise because, you know, uh, I was bored because I was lonely because, uh, you know, I had nothing better to do or some girl that I had been hooking up with finally decided to stay faithful to her boyfriend or to her husband or, you know, whatever it was. Like, I just didn't get my way in what I wanted. And that was the only thing I knew I had control over is that I could pick up chicks with, with no problem. You know, go finding a chick at a bar wasn't a big deal if I couldn't find, you know, somebody in my harem to come show up or come through. And even if I couldn't find someone at a bar that, met my standards, I knew I could still pick up an old, ugly, fat chick. It didn't matter. Like it was just about getting it in. And that's a distinction where, you know, most guys say, oh yeah, you know, I think I'm a sex addict and, you know, cause I want to fuck all the time. Yeah. But w- are you willing to fuck an old, ugly, nasty bitch that, you know, you would be ashamed of just being in the same room with her, you know, that kind of thing. And that's one of the distinctions. You know, it's, it's great. Cause you would, you literally touched on the next question i had for you was because i don't i can't personally say i've ever had a sex addiction i I, sad to say that i haven't researched it as well as i should but i was wondering you know if you were down bad kind of like a junkie kind of like shit just give me anything oh yeah yeah i I was bad now having said that did you ever have that post nut clarity even when you were being a sex addict especially when like you said you were hooking up with you know these women that you typically wouldn't so you, you, I've heard a couple of your episodes where um, you talk about post-nut clarity and you're, you're seeing it from the jaded side because uh, post-nut clarity, uh, there, there's like different schools of thoughts. But the biggest thing is, so just to make it a little science women usually have about uh, percentage-wise, I forget the actual exact numbers, but percentage-wise on a scale of one to 100, women usually have between 80 to 90% oxytocin in their system all the time because they have stronger interpersonal and emotional relationships with their girlfriends, with their female friends, with their coworkers, with everybody that they interact with. Males, we usually hover between 10 to 25%, 24-7. When we nut, we get a shot of oxytocin and that boosts up to 90 to 95% of oxytocin in our system. What that does is basically the love hormone. And so when we nut, we, um, 
and, and this is coming from a study that's more leaning towards uh, a Christian-based study or that was like uh, sponsored by Christians. And it was basically trying to prove that we should wait to get wait to have sex till we get married, because when we nut after our honeymoon, then that will cement the bond between a man and woman, or at least a man towards a woman to want to protect her, want to love her, want to do everything for her because we have that that feeling of love, that love hormone. So that'll be like a, a bonding situation between the two of us. However, with the hookup culture, with all the sex that we have, guys, we feel that in, in that that instant of, of uh, ejaculation of coming, busting or not, whatever, is we feel that and we feel that shot of love. But because we're so used to, if we say, oh, I love you right after you nut, you know that girl's never going to talk to you again. You know that girl's going to be like, get the ick and she's just going to fucking ghost you. And we know that we can't say that. So then we have to train ourselves to not say it, to not acknowledge that feeling. And so that's where the post-nut clarity that you're talking about is where we get that, where we get that ew, you know, because now it's, it's not so much an ick that we get. It's more of, um, crap, tip of my tongue. Uh, it, it's a, a sense of shame because we're ashamed that we did something that we wanted to do and we're not be able, we're not able to fulfill it. So it's kind of like, um, going hunting and you end up having to, to shoot or kill the decoy instead of getting, you know, the actual prize, getting the actual trophy, the, uh, the buck or the duck or whatever it is that you're, you know, hunting for, and you got to settle for something less. And so then that's what our mind keeps associating with is that we're not getting what we want. So then now we're disgusted with ourselves and we interpret that as being disgusted with the woman that we're with. And it's really more of not fulfilling that love that we're trying, that love bond that we're trying to make. I was wondering where you were going when you said I had a, the jaded version of it because, yeah, that, that is completely night and day how I see it to what you're saying. What you're saying is backed by science, which is it's crazy, and I, I get what you're saying. You're doing, you're basically doing, you know, hubby material with a girlfriend, somebody you know you're not going to spend time with. And that, that, wow, I'm really glad we discussed this because I felt like I definitely learned something. Um, damn, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit speechless. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those mind blown things that you're like, holy shit. But yeah, just just look up um, ejaculation oxytocin. Uh, what was that study called? I have fuck, and I I meant to look it up too for this, but I I just been running a hundred miles today. So, um, anyways, but yeah, it, it's you can look that up. It's not like this is a made up stuff. It's basically you know science that our bodies are or we're training our bodies to not react the way it's supposed to react. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's crazy, and not just to like kind of close the whole sex addiction thing i did want to ask because i said I've, i know very little of it how did you tackle it like how did you overcome it so how'd you go about that so there was this one girl i was hooking up with and i realized i liked her enough to want to stay friends with her be friends with her so we just stayed friends instead of just hooking up instead of being friends with benefits and she was a people pleaser and me with my history as a sex addict, as a manipulator, as an opportunist and all these other things, because to be a successful sex addict, you have to be able to read and manipulate people, specifically women. And so I could have manipulated her into being whatever I wanted her to be because she was a people pleaser. And that was just something that I like honed in on her when I uh, started hooking up with her and dating her. So um, if I wanted her to, you know, go from her conservative, uh, appearance and I could have made her a goth. I could have made her emo. I could have made her punk. I could have made her just about anything I wanted her to be because that was her level of 
wanting to people please or get um, uh, validation essentially. And so she recognized that and she started going to a thing called Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christian based, um, like Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's like a whole umbrella. So it's like for alcoholic, sex, food, love addiction, um, codependency, chemical dependencies, like all the dependencies and addictions that anyone can have, it fall, they have it under one umbrella at Celebrate Recovery. It's usually held at different churches for any denomination, uh, Catholic, Lutheran, uh, Baptist, you know, anyone that there is, usually every major city or even small towns have one that you can meet up at. Anyways, so she would go to this thing and it starts off as a big group thing where everybody talks about, oh, you know, praise Jesus, God is great. And, you know, this is either like a little lesson or someone would come in and share their testimony of what they went through and how Celebrate Recovery helped them. And then after that, you'd break down in your smaller group, depending on whatever your dependency or your addiction is. And hers was food and code or codependency and love addiction. And I would go to the sex addicts ones just because I have no issue with drugs. I have no issue with alcohol. Um, I didn't have any love addiction. Like I wasn't like in love with being in love. I wasn't dependent on other people. So that was the only thing that kind of fit. But when I went into those classes, the guys would always talk about either porn or, um, trying to hook up with or talk to sex workers that they just, they got off on being able to talk dirty to women of the street or women of the night. And, you know, I would just sit there and lie. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I watched too much porn today. Like me, porn, porn doesn't disgust me. Porn just like bores me. Like I've done that. I've, I've done worse or crazier shit than that. Why would I watch somebody else do it when I've got my own videos that I've made and I could watch that instead. And that is like a last resort for me. I would rather, or at the time I would rather go out and pick up a random chick and make her do whatever I wanted and make my own porn essentially than having to go find something crazy. So I would sit there in line, just make up shit that I was, um, you know, doing whatever with porn because that way I could, at the end of the, sh- at the end of a uh, separate recovery, I could tell my friend, Oh, Hey, we got to go. Cause we're going to go catch this movie and it starts at nine. Otherwise she would stay there till like 11 o'clock at night, talking to everybody, helping clean up and putting things away And, you know, then we wouldn't get to hang out. So that was the reason that I was going just basically to be her excuse to leave early. And one of those times that I went, there was this guy that gave his testimony about using drugs. And when he said, you know, yeah, I went in, I would go shoot up because I had a bad day because I was lonely because I was sad. I was like, holy shit. You know, it finally clicked with me that everything I was doing with sex, if I just replaced his word of drugs with sex, it was the exact same reasons why I was going out and hooking up with girls I didn't like, with girls I had no interest in, with girls I wasn't trying to pursue into a relationship. It was just to feel better about myself, essentially. And so when I realized that, it was kind of a, a shell shock moment or kind of just surprising because I thought up until that point that sex addiction was just something that celebrities would say to be able to save their marriage and not have to pay child support or alimony or whatever, like a one last chance type thing, you know, I thought it was just this made up thing. And I realized, okay, so it was like two things at once, realizing that I was a sex addict and that sex addiction is a real thing. At first, I tried to stay away from celibate recovery because I was like, okay, I spent all this time lying to these guys and essentially judging them because here they are doing, you know, fucking um, elementary shit. And I'm over here in like, you know, PhD level stuff, you know? And so I, in a sense, I didn't respect them because they were trying to get it in or, or, you know, whatever. And so I started off with going to, or finding some therapists through, uh, my health insurance. And when I was talking to them, 
I felt like they really didn't understand me. Like they understood like the paperwork level, like the clinical level of what I was going through, but they had no idea what I was actually doing. Like, um, you know, to, to me, the, the correlation is, um, a electrical engineer versus being an electrician. You know, they understand how to design, uh, electrical system for a building for a house or whatever, but they don't know how to put that stuff in. They don't know how to do the work. And so eventually after seeing three or four therapists, I was like, this isn't for me. So I started going to SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous. And in there, all the, a lot of the guys are just white knuckling it where instead of dealing with their issues, they're just like, yeah, I'm not doing sex today. So I, I had a good day today because I didn't have sex. And, but sex is always on their mind. They're always talking about it, thinking about it. They're doing everything with sex, but, but actually doing it instead of actually having sex. And, you know, sometimes they slip up and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I went out and did this, this and that. And I'm like, um, so my reasoning for going there was more of morbid curiosity or just being an asshole because like, well, shit, at least I'm not as fucked up as that guy, you know? <laughs> and I still wasn't getting any resolution to who I was or what I was doing. And so I decided, fuck it, I'm gonna go ahead and give Celebrate Recovery again, another chance. And I went back to it, started actually going through it, working the steps. And in that with Celebrate Recovery, I think the reason it worked best for me is it was kind of like a workbook and they would sit there and um, in the smaller group. So once you're going to the small group where you talk about porn or whatever your issues are, then you break up into a step study group, which is two to five guys would meet up separately on their own time at one of their other, one of each other's houses and go through the workbooks and the workbooks are designed to ask you questions, to be introspective and realize, you know, where these traumas started, where these triggers started, what, um, what makes you feel better without actually having to do, you know, the, your, whatever your addiction is. And so working with the system that way, you know, actually made me realize all the issues that I had and that was what worked best for me. Now I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. I mean, whatever anyone's addiction is, maybe AA would work for you. Maybe seeing a therapist would work for you. I just know that those other methods didn't work for me just because of my personality and who I am. Uh, other people might work better in a group setting, like a group therapy type thing. So it just matters if anyone has issues, go ahead and find help. No one's going to judge you. Just figure out what works best for you. And if something doesn't work, don't just say, okay, it's never going to work for me. Just keep trying different types of therapy until you find it. That's great advice. Yeah. And I'm glad you looked for it. Now, is there anything positive you took away from this all? Cause it looks like you learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself in that, um, you know, machismo isn't as bad as it all seems like, cause that was one of the bigger things is, uh, growing up with machismo. One of the bigger things that we always hear growing up or, not even here, just kind of is insinuated is the more women you're with, the more of a man you are. And that doesn't have to be your basis for your identity as a man or how masculine you are. Um, you could be just with one woman for your entire life and you could still be a masculine man. You could be, um, you know, someone everybody looks up to because the definition of you as a man is more things than just how many people you're, how many women you've been with. You know, it can be how good of a leader you are, how good of a provider, how good of a family man you are, how well you take care of your family and not just the financial aspect, but being a caring father, being a caring provider, being there to provide and care for your family, not just uh, financially, but being there to provide them their emotional support, to build them up, to strengthen your family and essentially have your family unit be your, your rock. You know, that, that can be, um, such a great way to do things. And so those are one of the things, they're one of the biggest things that I learned. Another one is, 
that, you know, even though I've done all these crazy things with sex, I can still help other guys get into better and stronger relationships. I know most guys don't want to do that because a lot of guys are incels or stuck in not getting as much sex as they want or the sex from the girls that they want. But, you know, sex isn't everything. I can tell you spending 20 years getting it in where there, there was a point in time where my dry spell was the most in my dry spell or the worst that I was in my depravity is that eight hours was a dry spell. Wow. Um, yeah, that was, that was for like two and a half years when I was trying to just hit a thousand women. And I was like, you know, I'm going to hit a thousand. And once I get there, it doesn't matter anymore. And, you know, having, having that. And then even, even when I was married, uh, with my first wife, um, you know, we'd get into arguments or whatever. And I'm like, I'm getting, I'm having sex three times a week. You can be part of it, whether you want to or not. I'm having sex three times a week. So either get in and quit, quit your bitching that I cheated on you, or I'm just going to keep doing it. And, so, you know, from between eight hours to 36, 48 hours being my max for over 30 years or over 25 years, you know, it, it's not the most important thing in the world. Sex isn't that important because once you settle into a relationship, you're not going to be having sex every day. You're not going to be having sex um, three or four times a week. Sure, it'd be nice to do that, but your relationship involves so much more. Your relationship is um, more about how you are with each other than just the sex. Yeah. Although sex is important. I'm not saying that, you know, don't uh, discount it. Just make sure you're having the sex you want and your partner wants to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Now I have to ask, damn the stamina you must have had. Were you all natural or were you like using anything? Cause oh, n- natural. Yeah. It wasn't until I broke my hip in 2016 that I really started slowing down. Um, and yeah, cause I, so and also the, the bad thing about being a sex addict is that you got to do crazier and crazier things to be able to finish. Like, um, you know, there, there was a lot of times, even though I was having sex, I wasn't always nutting. I wasn't finishing every time I had sex. I'd finish probably once every other day because I'd have to wait or once, uh, every three days because I'd have to wait until my, one of the girls in my harem would show up because she's the one that would really do anything I wanted, but she couldn't come over because, you know, she's married or she's got a boyfriend or she works crazy hours or whatever. And like her, she's a nurse and you know she's got her 12 hours on and off and she's got to wait till the weekend and she needs a day to recover, you know, from having worked all week. So then she would do like whatever the fuck I want. And I'm talking like, you know, whatever you see on porn sites, like, you, um, kink.com would be a good like starter um foreplay this is what i start off with like that's not even the craziest shit that i do it's just okay we're gonna i'm gonna fist you and have a fucking hang you and suspend you in the air and fucking piss all over you and then i'm gonna have some enjoyment with you now i have to ask because what you said you said you had to like keep pushing and do more and more to be able to you know to come is that kind of what led you to look into being a dom? Like the fact that like pushing these girls to do what you wanted them to actually. So uh, when I started having sex or having more sex than I should be having, uh, I was on AOL back in 96, 97 and it, it was super easy to get girls to come and hook up. All you just had to do was just get them to agree to meet up with you and you're going to get it in. And Eventually, so at first, you know, as a young 18 year old kid, you know, at first I thought, okay, 
can I hook up with her? Like, does she want to hook up? Am I going to be able to hook up with her? Then, because it was so easy to find these girls on AOL, and I was like, okay, how soon can I hook up with her? And that became a game too. Like me and a couple other guys, we had a game to where we would get a point for every female we'd hook up with within 24 hours of the first message. Half a point if it was over 24 hours or half a point if it was just head, no matter how long it took. Um, and so that's where my, when I was counting to a thousand, that's that was my basis for it. And then uh, like, shoot, two, I, I hit a thousand January 2nd, 2000. And by the, wow. yeah. And so, and then I was pissed because I could have gotten it sooner, but because I went to basic training that pushed me, you know, that was, uh, nine weeks of basic with no, like I got head from one girl in basic, but you know, instead of my usual hooking up every day with someone new, you know, now, so that's three months of numbers that I lost. That was 90 females that I missed out on, um, or 90 points. And then the holiday, uh, leave, then going to AIT. So I was pissed because like, it was basically like a uh, hundred points that I could have gotten sooner, but I had to delay it because I was in, in basic and, and all that stuff. So when I realized that I hit a thousand points or a thousand women and did the math, I was like, oh shit, you know, I've been with more than a thousand because just getting ahead or hooking up after 24 hours was half a point. So I don't even know when I hit a thousand. Like I actually hit a thousand females earlier than that. I just don't remember who or when it was. I didn't keep a tally of that. I was keeping tally of the game that I was playing. But when I was playing that game, I was moving along from how soon I could hook up with them to, okay, what can I get this girl to do for me to earn the chance to hook up with me? Cause I knew I was good in bed. Like by, by a certain point, um, I was really self-conscious early on because, uh, I'm a grower and back in the nineties, there's no way to look up, you know, there's growers and shower. There's no, there wasn't websites that would talk about it. There wasn't any information about it. And so I have a football player build. And so my thighs are like watermelons. And even though I have a cucumber, you put a cucumber between two watermelons, it's not that impressive, you know? But if you put a cucumber between two fucking broomsticks and then, yeah, you're fucking, you know, you're packing. But, you know, my thighs are bigger than average or, you know, bigger. So I was self-conscious about it. So I would go ham. I would just put, do all these tricks and do all these things to get these girls to finish. And when they would tell me, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know, you're, you're bigger than average, you're bigger than this or whatever they would tell me, I wasn't hearing it. What I was hearing is, oh, size doesn't matter. You know, it's how, it's how you use it. That's what I was hearing, even though they were telling me, yeah, I'm bigger than their boyfriend or, or whoever they're with. And it wasn't, I forgot when it clicked, but when it clicked, then that's when I realized, oh shit, I can get these girls to do whatever I want for me because I know I can make them get there. I know that they're going to want me because, you know, I still had all these women that keep coming over. I still had a rotation and, you know, married women, uh, girls with boyfriends, uh, girls that were bi, that were bi-curious, whatever. I had this whole harem rotation that kept feeding my ego. And I knew that if one girl wouldn't uh, strip for me or uh, take off her top on a Denny's at two in the afternoon, I could find someone else that would. So then when I fell into BDSM, probably like three or four months later, it just all clicked together. Okay, this is what I like. This is what I like doing. This is my jam. And, you know, the more I could subjugate a woman, the more pleasure I'd get from it. And that just kind of just kept feeding into a vicious cycle of, you know, just being an asshole, really. <laughs> and after it was all said and done, you said you're ex-sex addict, so now you're not. But you're open about it and you have a podcast. And How has your past 
affected you, if it has, in relationships with women? Like, if they hear this thousand number, where they have, like, they ran or... Um, <laughs> I've had a few that, like, were grossed out because, you know, it's, 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 it is a disgusting number. And I have no idea what my number is now. I would guess it's somewhere like 2000 ish because after I hit that thousand, I wasn't crazy about building up my number. It was just about finding a good rotation, finding a good harem. So I slowed down and it was, I'd run through women to find one that would do whatever I wanted or would be willing to do whatever I wanted. So then those I would keep, it wasn't so much about, um, just having, uh, 30 women that would come whenever I wanted. It was more about having three or four, maybe five that were willing to do whatever I wanted for whenever I wanted and see them for years on end. Um, you know, it, it kind of boiled down to like eight women that would be, uh, kind of three at a time. And then, uh, one would get a boyfriend. And so then one would drop off and I'd be down to two. And then another one, would break up with their boyfriend, another one would get divorced, and so then I'd be back up to four. So it was kind of like the same eight or nine women, and you know whatever random woman I'd pick up from now every, um, between my first wife and my second wife, and so with women hearing the number, it was a turnoff, or it was kind of like hard to get women to want to stick around once they heard the number if they weren't a one night stand, uh, and so. Eventually, and other thing about it too is that most women just see me as a fuck boy. So, if uh, anyone watches my uh, channel on Spotify or listens to my podcast on Spotify and sees the video, you'll be able to see that I have like this bad boy look. Um, or if you find me on socials, you're going to see that my look is essentially just basically a bad boy. So that that just fits a certain criteria of women, anyways. So that look, people just assume that I'm a fuck boy. That they just I'm not worthy of dating. That I'm not, um, you know. Uh, boyfriend material essentially. And you know, there was a lot of women that I'd, I'd hook up with and they'd say, you're not going to meet my kids. You're not going to this, you're not going to that. And like, don't give a shit. <laughs> and even though I'd say that, I don't care. You know, there were times that it did hurt me a little bit because I was like, you know, shit, you know, this girl is awesome. She's attractive. She's got a career. She doesn't have any kids, you know, this, that, and the other. And, you know, I'd love to have her on my arm. I'd love to go out on dates with her, not just come over to her house and run through. But when they would say that, you know, it just kind of feed into my addiction. It's like, okay, fine. I'm not going to, you know, you don't want it. Fine. I'll go fuck one of your friends. I'll go fuck one of your homegirls. I'll go fuck somebody else that, you know, if you don't want me around all the time, then you're going to regret not keeping me around. And that was just me being petty and an asshole. Now, this sounds like a bunch of the women you dealt with were judgmental when they heard the number. You don't come off or sound like a judgmental guy to me, but what is your approach to a girl that has been a sex addict or might have a high number? No, I don't care. Like, even if a girl had 3,000, you know, I don't, you know, now and 10, 15 years ago, my uh, approach is more of who you are as a person now, who you are to me. That's what matters to me. I care how you are with me. I don't care how you were before me, Um, you know, and that's even, you know, if I'd, you know, found a prostitute, if I'd hooked up with or dated a woman, which I'd hooked up with a couple of um prostitutes, hookers, street workers, whatever. Um, and that was unpaid. Like I'd never, I've never paid for it. I'd always hooked up with girls and find out later, Oh, they are, or they were, um, you know, sex workers. And they, 
they wouldn't have an issue with me. Their issue was more that I would reflect who they were, that they would keep seeing who they used to be in me. They wanted essentially a nice, clean-cut guy that didn't know about their past, and that way they wouldn't be reminded of it. At least that's the the sense that I got from them. So personally, I don't care about a girl's past. Like I care how you are with me. What's more important to me is, do you make my life easier? Do I have to? Do you help me relieve stress? And I'm not talking about just sex. I'm talking about like coming home and the house is clean, food is cooked, or food is cooking. And personally, I prefer traditional gender roles. That's what I look for. That's what I want. You know, and it doesn't mean that she's got to be uh, tied to the kitchen all the time. It's just things that make my life easier that I'm used to, that I prefer, that I was brought up and raised to expect. That's what I enjoy in my life. So. As far as women go in their past, it doesn't matter to me. Now, you said that you want a woman that'll make your life easier. In one of your episodes, I heard you say, life is too short to deal with any kind of crazy. I believe it's when you were talking about your boy, Jesus. Walking on eggshells. Yeah. But yeah, same, same difference. Mm-hmm. So what is the craziest thing El Gallo has had to deal with with one of these women? Uh, so I really don't deal with a lot of crazy, so... I mean, I deal with crazy, like they want to keep seeing me and they, they, um, you know, fucking try to break into my house because I'm not answering their phone or whatever. But, um, you know, whenever I'm, I'm dating or hooking up with them, um, you know, I, my dating MO, the way I approach dating is I'm not going to be monogamous with any woman until I've been dating her for a year. Mm. And I don't date just one woman at a time. I'll date four or five. Like I still have my harem thing going on. And I don't rub it in their face. I don't tell them, oh, yeah, I'm hooking up with these other women unless they specifically ask, hey, uh, or, you know, they ask me, hey, can we go out or do something this weekend or Thursday night or whatever? And I tell them I'm busy. If they keep pushing, hey, how come I can't see you this Thursday? I'll let them know I'm going on a date. But otherwise, most of the time they don't know. And what I'm looking for in that year is how they behave and treat others specifically, how they treat me and how they behave during the holidays and Valentine's because I don't celebrate those holidays. Mm. Um, Christmas just reminds me that I'm an only child, I'm an orphan, and I don't have any family. I mean, I have extended family, but I don't have any immediate family left. And so, um, you know, the whole holiday shit of Christmas and music and movies and all that shit just reminds me that I'm alone. And so I avoid it, and I just dive into work. So I'm the guy at work that... I'll cover everybody for the holidays. You know, you want to go on vacation? Fine. I'll work seven days a week, 18 hours a day. I don't give a shit just to, just to not have to deal with it. And then Valentine's, I don't see why one particular day out of the year should be used to celebrate or prove how much you love a partner. <laughs> and so I tell them, Hey, you're the only, the only gifts you're going to get for me is on an anniversary and your birthday. That's it. Don't expect anything. Don't expect a card. I never buy women flowers. So don't expect any little shit like that. Um, out of the blue or on on your birth or on uh, Christmas or Valentine's. So sometimes they survive Christmas. And so come Valentine's, all of them want to have spend Valentine's with me. I'm like, I'm not celebrating. I'm not going to be anything. I'm not going to do anything with you. So I just avoid all of them on Valentine's and some of them on Valentine's day or the day after lose their shit because I didn't spend time with them. So then they just filter themselves out <laughs> or they assume, oh, it's, it's, you know, February 15th. So now we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Cause you said it had to be a year oh, and, or you wanted to see how I behaved. So now it's me and you like, nope, it still hasn't been a year. You, you still have like five months to go. And so they lose their shit then. And then they filter themselves out. So it's, it's, it's a self filtering process with women 
to find the one that I want. So I don't put up with crazy. Like, like I said, life's too short to, to live, walk on eggshells. So, you know, anytime they show too much crazy or too much, whatever, like bye. like you were not hot enough to justify how, how crazy you're behaving. And, you know, not even, I wouldn't put up with it from like Sofia Vergara, uh, what's her face? Um, Wonder Woman, um, you know, whatever you think is the hottest celebrity to me, they're not hot enough for, to act any amount of crazy. So for me, crazy is just unacceptable. So, but it's more palatable to say you're not hot enough for, you know, accepting a, a certain amount of hot for crazy. Um, so yeah, usually it's just one and done and depending if it's justified, I might let it slide and put up with it. Okay. You know, whatever I did, I was an asshole. She did just find out I'm fucking like three other women. Fine. Whatever. I'll, I'll let it slide. But one thing I won't tolerate is them raising their voice at me. They can get angry. That's totally fine. Everybody gets angry, but getting angry and raising your voice at me, there's only two people on earth that can do that. And they're both been dead for over 30 years. So now with the way that dating is nowadays, it's, it sounds crazy to me because I, like I did a podcast, so I did three episodes with, you know, how hard it is dating in your thirties. And they all admitted mm-hmm. it is very, very difficult and it sounds like you're playing really? the dating game on hard. If if I were to look at it through their eyes, through what they said, but it seems like you don't have a problem dating right now, especially with your high standards. No, not at all. It, it, dating is only as hard as you let it be. Like I, I think the biggest thing. Okay, so I get dating is hard with dating apps because you know even the hottest guys don't get as many swipes. Um, and even with me with dating apps, I, when I had them or when I used them, I only used them when I would travel. And because whenever you travel or set, or set your zip code to a new location, you pop up as like a new user, essentially. So you get put to the front of the line and more people, more women see you. And so you'll get swipes that way. And because my pictures is not just me standing in front of a mirror, like every, I, I'm not a selfie taker. All of my pictures that I have on, um, dating profiles is someone else taking a picture of me. Like it's clear. There's no way I could have my arm stretched out. Like you see both of my hands doing something or whatever. So I'm doing crazy shit, riding my motorcycle, um, beach volleyball, doing whatever, going out and being active. And so, um, that's one thing I think is, is a big indicator, like uh, talking or hearing other podcasts about guys is that one of the biggest things is having good pictures. And it's not just selfies. It's gotta be pictures showing that you're doing shit, that you're active, that you're, um, not average essentially. Uh, and, and that's, that's one of the things is, you know, figure out who you are and figure out what makes you stand out because sure, we're all Latino, but what makes you a different Latino than everybody else? Mm. You know, okay, I'm an emo Latino. I'm a punk. I'm this, I'm that, I'm a biker, whatever, you know, or whatever your ethnicity is, because if you just let yourself be average, then you're going to be missed or ignored by the masses. You have to stand out essentially when it comes to dating. And like one of the things with that is, um, okay. So I'll give you an example. When I was in the army, cause I thought going in the army, I'm going to be buff. I'm going to be ripped. <laughs> All these women are going to want me. But when you get in the army or any military branch and you show up to military town, which is, you know, like, um, whatever city that happens to have a, a base in it, um, especially the sol- smaller ones like San Antonio is big. So that, that one doesn't count, but a smaller town, middle of nowhere, um, all the women there are used to seeing guys that are in shape. So there's nothing special about you. You're average there. So you have to go out. You have to either stand out that somehow there or go somewhere else where you don't stand out. So I was going, I was up stationed in upstate New York for Fort Drum. Uh, and so, you know, all the competition there was just too much because it was really small town. 
and there was like four bars. So you have four bars and like 6,000 guys trying to go either there or the ones on post. So you just have to go out of, out of the way. So I go up to Montreal and Montreal's in Quebec and in Montreal, Quebec, uh, they speak French there the way most Southern states like uh, border states speak Spanish. Uh, everybody speaks Spanish and it's, it's more predominantly uh, French there. So when I'd go up there, most of the other guys that figured out, oh, let me go up there and talk to other women. They'd be like, oh, comment allez-vous, parlez-vous anglais? How are you doing? Do you speak English? And, you know, most of the women, they'd either ignore you because, okay, they're tired of another fucking American trying to, you know, spit game in French that they don't even know. But I would flip it. I'd say, comment allez-vous, parlez-vous espagnol? Do you speak Spanish? And, of course, a lot of times they'd be like, oui, 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 whatever, you know? And so I'd bust out in Spanish, um... Oh, mi vida, no sabes que también es encontrar una mujer que pueda hablar español. No puedo practicar porque no encuentro nadie aquí. And what I'm saying in Spanish is it's so great to finally find a woman that speaks Spanish, understands Spanish, I don't have anybody to practice with. And that would be like my whole line that I would try to try to say. But more often than not, before I even finish like five words, they'd be like, oh, no, 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 anglais, uh, parlez-vous anglais? And um, I'd bust out, oh, English, yeah, 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 I speak English. Uh, okay, you're not going to believe this, but... Uh, my name is Federico, and I'm from Puerto Rico, and I joined the army so I can travel, and, and they fucking stick me in New York. So I come up here to, to meet other women because I want to travel the world, blah, 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 blah. And then just panties melt off because I made myself stand out as someone different. And I pulled this at a bar one time. And it was funny because I'm, I'm talking to this chick, and um, she was sitting at the bar. I walk up to her, just start talking, having a conversation with her. And um, you know, after like 45 minutes of having a conversation... She's like, you want to get out of here? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. And she hops off the stool. She's a midget. And I found out then that she's um, what's called a pseudo. So there's like three different kinds. There's a dwarfism. Oh, fuck, I forgot the other one. But there's three. One is the one that has like the big head, the twisted arms, and like they just look like fucked up. Um, and that's dwarfism. There's another one. And then there's a pseudo. And a pseudo is just basically a person that's short. Like she's just, she was four, six, four, seven. And, you know, but she proportionate, like her head was normal shaped, her arms and wrists were the same. She was just short. And, um, I was like, oh shit. And she goes, you didn't know I was a pseudo. And like, you're a what? I thought you were a midget. And she goes, <laughs> little person. I'm like, okay, my bad. No, I just, you know, I turned, I saw your long hair cause her hair was long. It, it covered, it went down past the seat of the stool. And so I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Like I said, I'm a traditional guy, like traditional gender roles. I love long hair, skirts. And an hourglass figure like that, man, I'm a sucker for that. And so I saw that she was in a dress. I saw that she had long hair. And I said, like, that's why I came up to talk to you. And um, then she's like, where'd your accent go? I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're talking about you right now. And so, you know, eventually she, she you know, it, it was fun and games, whatever. Went back to her place or, or sorry, it was a hotel. Went up to her hotel room because she was from out of town for something. We um, hooked up and I'm like, oh man, it, it was crazy because one, I got head with her basically standing down or standing up. She just kind of like had her hands on her knees and just kind of like leaning forward a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, she gets on the bed and, you know, all the crazy positions. I'm over here trying to like throw her around and no, you cannot throw down a midget. Like midgets have a low center of gravity. They still weigh the same as they, they weigh like whatever, you know, 120, 130 pounds, but that 130 pounds is like down by your shins, you know? So like that, that body weight, like, you know, you got to put your back into it for real, you know? So um, but yeah, standing out as far as having dates and even nowadays, I don't eat. So back to me dating in hard mode, I'm better in person. Like in person, I fucking, I'll talk to any woman anywhere, or at least, you know, when I was single, I have a girlfriend now, but I'll go to a, um, 
Trader Joe's or Target. I had better success like Trader Joe's, uh, Whole Foods and Target, like the more kind of upscale grocery stores. And if I see a woman that I find attractive and she looks like she's alone and she's not in a hurry, you know, I just ran up to her and like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of cooking dinner tonight. I'm tired of just uh, spaghetti and um, sauce, just toast it together. You have any ideas? You know, whatever aisle we're in, you know, I'll try to figure out what kind of meal I can get out of there and talk to her about that. And just basically ask for help. And that's kind of like a little hack that people love to help other people because it makes them feel better about themselves. It's like a little psychological thing. And so manipulating that or getting her to like help me. Oh shit, I'm doing him a favor. Oh, you know, he's, you know, he's not a nice guy. He's not here to attack me or try to date me or ask me out or whatever. Right. Okay, cool. Thanks. Appreciate it. Go around, keep shopping, you know, eventually run into each other in other aisles. And then when you see her again, Hey, are you stalking me? Like what's going on over here? Like, if you want my number, you can just ask me, you know, just make a joke out of it. Make her laugh. Like the key is to make them, make them at ease, make them laugh. And, you know, I always have a business card on me that just has my name and my number and just hand it to him. Hey, give me a call. You know, we'll, you know, cook dinner sometime or we'll do something together, go on a hike, whatever. And, you know, just putting women at ease makes it easier for you to be able to find women. And I'm not, I guess because I'm so chill or cool with not having sex anymore, not having to pursue it so hard that that pressure, that, um, goal, women realize or feel or sense that I'm not going, I'm not just after that with them. So they feel okay with going out and meeting me. And I don't care you know, if it takes me three or four months, you know, I'm patient enough to have so many things on the back burner that, you know, eventually I'm either going to get it in or she's going to ghost me. It doesn't really matter to me because there's millions of women out there. Why are you putting all your effort and time into just one or two, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Now to get a little deeper, uh, you mentioned that you're an orphan. I'm sorry to hear about that. You know, you a widower, you've had a lot of loss in your life mm-hmm. and you've had a lot of sex and you've been married. Do you think that's another reason like why? Cause that's what it sounded to me like you're in no rush to do anything cause you've done it all. So you're just enjoying the moment with these women. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Am I reading that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, life is short and at the same time, you know, nobody's promised tomorrow, but um, you know, if you, take the pressure off of yourself of wanting to do everything all at once and just focus on one or two things on and focus more on yourself. If you, if you put your focus on women, women are going to feel that. But if you just focus on yourself, you make yourself a lot more interesting just by being someone that like, oh, why isn't he paying attention to me? Why isn't he trying to hook up with me? And that, that's actually how I got my wife. Um, you know, when I went up to her one night, you know, to go dancing, pulled her from a group, and told her, hey, let's go on a dance. And she took her on the dance floor, danced with her for two songs, took her back to her friends. Thanks for the dance. Uh, talked to her friends for like 30 seconds, a minute, and then went back to my other group of friends. And then just started being a, a social butterfly, just talking to different people. And she was so used to guys like talking to her and just paying attention to her all night, like just fucking following her like a puppy dog. And that's just not me. Like, just don't be a, don't be a puppy. And you know, have your own life that people want, women want to be around you for. It makes sense that you don't, you want to make them feel like you don't need them. It'd be nice to have them around, but you don't need them. And just to touch on something you brought up earlier about the, the midget or little person or whatever they want to be called. I'm glad you touched on that because I, that's what I was going to bring up next just to line up the mood a little bit. Because I do have a text from you that reads, midgets are heavier than they look, which you touched on that. But then you mm-hmm. went with gum jobs. Bro, <laughs> you ain't lived till you had a couple of those. You have to tell us about that. Okay. Um, that, that goes back to AOL. 
because um, you mentioned in a in a, I think it was passengering. Uh, you and your boys were talking about like you know what's a crazy sex thing or porn thing that you you know either you tell your girl that you're into but that's not your real one <laughs> um, and like midges came up and like toothless blowjobs and so a gum job you don't have, well at least luckily for me I don't have to go with an old lady or some meth head uh, back on AOL uh, met this random chick I was 18 she was 36 and. You know, even though that was pushing my limit for me then, I, I didn't care because like, fuck it, you know, all these other chicks, it was like a Tuesday night. All these other chicks are not, you know, coming through They're My next one isn't going to come in until like nine in the morning. This is like eight o'clock at night. It's going to be more than 12 hours. I mean, it, I didn't think of it as more than 12 hours. I was like, I'm going to go to sleep without sex. No, this is bullshit. So I uh, found this chick, went over to her place. She was in a trailer. Get over there and uh, start talking and, you know, get to her room and she goes, okay, uh, you know, uh, just stand right here. I'm like, okay. She pulled down my pants and she gets on her knees and she like does a little cough thing. And then she starts to go to town. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what the fuck? Like, like for half a second, I was like, what, the, what am I feeling? And like, oh shit. And I, it could have been 30 seconds, but I know it wasn't more than two minutes and I was done. Like just holy shit. Oh my God, I'm done. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And she goes, you want to go again? Like, fuck yeah, I want to go again. Fuck it. You know, so she got me hard and finished me off in like another five minutes. And I was like, what the fuck? And then she smiles. She looks up at me and smiles. I'm like, oh, you know, it caught me off guard. So it was like, oh shit. That was like kind of my reaction, but I try to keep it calm. And she noticed, oh, oh. And she like fucking puts her, like covers her mouth and puts her teeth back in, her bridges. And... I'm like, uh, I'm not, I'm not tripping out. I'm not, I'm, I'm still down to keep doing this. Don't, don't get it wrong. This is, I've just never had that before. What the fuck? <laughs> and so she tells me that she'd been with her boyfriend since she was 16 for over 20 years. Um, and he was older than her. If I remember correctly, of course we're, we're talking, this is like 30 years ago, right? So 30 years ago, she told me that she was with her dude and I want to say he was over 18 when they started. So he was just an abusive, um, manipulator asshole like worse than me uh, and he um basically just beat her all the time whenever she didn't you know act right and but she never pressed charges on him because um she knew that he loved her and that that was her excuse that you know he he only used his hands but i think it was friday night or saturday night like the you know the weekend before he threw a hammer at her and so she like moves uh, a calendar that was on the wall and shows like a big ass hole in there and when he threw the hammer at her, that's when she realized that she didn't, he didn't love her. Mm. So she finally pressed charges because, of course, you know, she's always calling the cops or whatever and doesn't do anything. But that time she finally pressed charges. And so she wanted somebody new, a new guy. like, fuck, yeah, look, we, we can do this as much as you want. So knocked her out. She woke me up, you know, with her mouth. And, dude, it's like it's like a, a vagina that has clamping pressure and a tongue. You know, because it, it's got that top and bottom pressure yeah. where an asshole is like all the way around. But that, oh man, that, yeah, a gum job, if you ever can find one that's not like an 80-year-old woman <laughs> or, uh, oh, that's what you were talking about. Yeah, because it was like um, old folks' homes where, you know, they're all just fucking and having sex and sexting and shit with the big-ass letters. Um, yeah, so gum jobs, bro. Yeah. Even if it is a meth head, dude, oh. I'm okay. I started laughing when you were telling your story, and I didn't mean to. But when you said she coughed, that was her taking out her 
her teeth, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at first when she like kind of coughed yeah. and like doing her thing, she was taking out her bridges. It's, it's the ones that like they clamp onto your molars. Yeah. And um, I was like, holy shit. So yeah, her, I kept her for as long as I could. But she was weirded out that I was 18 and she was 36 and she felt like, you know, she was robbing the crate. She was, um, I guess, reliving her trauma of her boyfriend, um, you know, picking her up when she was underage. And I'm like, hey, I'm 18. I'm a man like this. Like this doesn't have to, it doesn't matter to me. I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah. You know? But anyways. Well, that is kind of a kink. And that's kind of like I said, I wanted to get into the kink aspect of it all. Now, what is the biggest kink or what is the most? often chosen kink by women that you've noticed <laughs> um this is one that a lot of women won't admit and this is coming from personal experience of over 30-ish years um the biggest one is cnc consensual non-consent mm. and that's essentially just rape rape fantasies um it could be anything from you know being uh caught in public and it's usually here by her boyfriend it's not like um she wants a random dude to do it she wants her boyfriend or her partner whoever it is to like catch her after work on her way home to her or on her way to her car or from her car to her house or when she gets inside her house and if they do it it's usually like predetermined okay it's going to be friday night between 11 um 9 p.m and midnight you know going to come through and you're going to say this one key word that's going to let me know it's you and it's not a real rapist or whatever that's that's one of the bigger ones, uh, CNC. Another one is uh, DP, double penetration, or two guys and a girl. Though most women say they want it, um, but when it actually comes down to it, they, they kind of freak out a little. So usually what works better for them or for that is uh, you and a dildo. So, you know, you and her ass and a uh, toy and her pussy or vice versa. Um, it's another one. Uh, the, uh, like a an authority thing, authority figure. So like you're a cop and, um, you know, to get out of this ticket, she's got to blow you or you're her teacher. And to get a better grade, she's got to, you know, do whatever. So it's usually, usually authority things, CNC or DP, uh, MMFs. Nice. Nice. Now, Mm. what is El Gallo's biggest kink? (laughs) It's my mood, like depending on the time of day, um, or who I'm playing with. Um, so, Lately, the bigger one is like um, uh, the, the daddy little girl kink. And normally it isn't sexual. Um, lately, it kind of has been, though. So uh, DDLG, daddy, dom, little girl, um, or it could be caregiver and little. Um, and there's littles and middles. I think I have an episode, littles and middles, um, that kind of explains it with a, with a middle, with a, a girl that identifies as a middle. Um, a little is usually... Um, Pre-pubescent, pre-pubescent behavior and a middle is like a pubescent behavior. So like into um, listening to, to music that they liked in their teens, listening to, or, you know, reading like a teen beat magazine, that kind of stuff. And littles prefer like tea parties and coloring and, uh, you know, playing dress up and stuff like that, like little dollies or baby girl outfits. Um, and for me, it originally started out because when I got divorced from my first wife, uh, my daughter wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. Like once my wife kind of just uh, spilled the tea and like let the, let our daughter know everything that I was doing. You know, she just hated me for it. So she hasn't spoken to me since she was 12. So for me, um, it, it would hurt losing that um, because growing up, she saw me as a Superman, you know, because I worked nice because I was a bartender at the time. Uh, I would always go to the um, like school functions and stuff. So all the kids, you know, thought I was awesome because I would carry, you know, two, um, 
coolers full of ice and drinks out to the field day things. And they thought, man, you know, you know, your dad's Superman. And, you know, she was always proud of me. She always loved me. And um, we had, you know, the father-daughter bond, you know. And, you know, play tea time, play, play dollies every now and again. And, you know, she just had me wrapped around her finger. That was my daughter. And losing that, like, just immediately cut off. Nothing, no contact, anything. Um, even when I call her for wish her for her happy birthday, you know, she would, if uh, it was the new number, she'd accept it. And then when she realized it was me, she'd just hang up or not respond. So... In the kink, I like doing that, playing dollies and dress up and all the other things and tea time and letting uh, the girl, you know, put makeup on me, paint my nails, that kind of stuff. Um, as the daddy, dom, little girl uh, relationship scene kink. And then later, um, there was a couple of times when I was in the army that I ended up hooking up with underage girls. And it wasn't that I was seeking them out. It was that they would come up to a club on post and, you know, wash off the X's on their hands and take them back to my, my barracks. They're doing, you know, grown woman stuff and finding out later that they're 13, 14, 15. And so, yeah, and, it, and that's, that's really common in, you know, small town bases, you know, uh, Fort Drum, Fort Leonard Wood, you know, any, anywhere where the population is like under 5,000, that's literally the only way to get out of town is get pregnant really young and get for uh get the soldier kind of forced to marry you because otherwise you're going to be stuck there for your life and you know because all the 18 year old girls are trying to do the same thing so you know the earlier the better you know or at least that's the perception i got from these girls and uh anyways um as i got older and realizing okay there's there's a lot of things and not not to promote or push for pedophilia just that you know a lot of the age of consent laws and things that we go around with. Uh, what's the phrasing? Uh, you know, there, there are some girls that seek this out themselves, that they're not being uh, sought after by predators, that these, these girls that are going to clubs at 15, 16, 17, you know, when they shouldn't be. And guys catching cases are getting in trouble for that. But then there's also, if you look at the... Um, Jewish religion, uh, the Tanakh and all the other stuff, like specifically bar mitzvahs, and bat mitzvahs, you know, whereas with quinceañeras and debutante stuff, you know, quinceañera is more of a thing presenting the girl that she's ready to start dating and courting. Whereas with bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, that's literally, you're now an adult. You're now a woman. You're now a man. And it's, was usually predated on, um, their, uh, not promotion. What the fuck is it? Um, puberty. Sorry. Once puberty starts, then okay, that's your signal that you're now going to be, or now that you are an adult. And so back then you're an adult, you can do things. So why is it that we have, and it's, I think it's more of a social construct, a social moray that, Oh my God, it's so wrong to have sex with someone that's under 18. Whereas you, I think we should see it more as someone that's uh, sexually mature or sexually, um, ready and able because, you know, Two 15-year-olds having sex, nobody bats an eye. Nobody says anything. Or 15 and 16, 13 and 17, whatever. Nobody really um, judges that. It's whenever now you're 18 and hooking up with a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old, then, oh, my God, you're, 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 you're disgusting. And not that I'm seeking that out. I have no interest in underage women. That's just something to bring up more into light and kind of like have a conversation about. Just like the we are accepting of gays, why can't we be accepting of girls that are trying to be grown-ass women and getting guys caught in the whole system. And it's just kind of like a, 
an idea or a podcast idea that I haven't really fleshed out all the way, but there is a, a doctor that talks about this, uh, Dr. James Cantor, talking more about pedophilia, hebephilia, and then sexual predators where a lot of times they're different. You know, one is just the attraction towards underage people. And then the sexual predators, usually it's just a crime of um, opportunity where guys dating a woman and she, you know, he's a piece of shit and lives at home and the wife is doing, the girlfriend's doing all the work. And one day the girlfriend's at work and the daughter, he sees her and her PJs or whatever and just takes advantage of her or takes advantage of the boy. It's not that he wants to do anything with someone underage. It's like, okay, it's there and I'm horny. Let me do it. You know? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Um, it's crazy. I've never experienced anything like that personally, but I've, I've have said on my podcast plenty of times that I consider myself a freak, but the biggest freaks I know have always been women. And even though I've never dealt with anything like that, I know something like that happened to Akon a couple years ago because of a club and whatnot. She was underage and, mm-hmm. and all that. That's a whole other topic. That's a whole other podcast, and maybe we'll touch mm-hmm. on that later. But I have noticed that women, a lot of women that I've met, tend to lean towards incest. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another one, too. Um, yeah, the, the incest porn and just incest, um, the idea, like, you know, especially with the whole daddy thing, girls calling me daddy or just girls liking to call their, their dude, poppy, daddy, whatever. And sometimes, at least in my experience, sometimes you can tell that they're like really wishing it was their daddy, their stepdad or whoever. And other times it's just because they think it's hot because it sounds dirty. You know, it's more of the idea of the dirtiness than the actual thinking of that person being their relative. You know, that is something that I've, I've talked about it in private conversations. I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, just because a, a lot of these conversations and topics are hard to approach because with social media and just the way things are nowadays, people are going to hear what they want, regardless of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I, I've had that conversation in private where what what are the lines and how, when are they blurred and when are they not when you want to discuss about something that you might find a turn on but would never do like i love to talk about i want to skydive every year for my birthday and every year the closer it gets to my birthday you will not find me anywhere near a damn fucking plane but the idea of talking about it you know it's cool i like it mm-hmm. that happens a lot with you know sex when you're horny you're sitting here either you're sexting video sexting or you know just laying in bed with your girl and you're talking about some nasty shit and then all of a sudden you're like it just sounded nice at the moment. So yeah, that's a whole other topic and conversation. But yeah, I, I, I kind of see what you're saying with all that. Now, just to close this all out, close the kinks out, the episode, what is the one kink you just say, fuck no, get away from me, I'm not doing this, not playing? Um, anything where I'm a sub. Like, I, I'm just not, it's not in me to be a sub. It's not in me, in me to have a woman tell me what to do or... Um, be penetrated, you know, pegging, um, you know, in anything like that, that's just not in my wheelhouse, not anything I have interest in, but just about anything else where I'm the top or I'm putting it in or making someone else do something I'm all for. So my hard nose is me being underneath a woman, um, or not, not physically, but just being underneath a woman, you know, as far as a top or a bottom and anything where I'd be penetrated. And we discussed this about this on the last, last podcast. Would you let anybody tie you up and tickle you? No. Um, I'm, I'm the one that's going to be doing the tying. 
<laughs> and then I'm also a rigger. That's another one that I do too. Shibari. Rigger? Can you tell us more about that? Rigger, yeah. So a rigger is a guy that does the rope play, and he's the one that would bind the woman either in just rope or in a decorative fashion. So there's shibari, which is the Japanese art form of um, tying up or binding in either decorative knots or in a decorative fashion. Like there's a one that I really like that's cool is basically a Wonder Woman outfit that's made out of rope. Another one is um, a woman's tied up and suspended in a oversized loop. And then the the way she's attached to the loop is that it looks like a spider web. And so she's bound up with a uh, with a harness, with um, reverse prayer, and I think one of her legs is in a frog leg. So frog leg is when like her heel is touching her ass, and then she has bindings around her thigh and her shin uh, to hold it in place. Uh, harness is just anything that would be around the chest, and sometimes it could include the arms to hold them behind her back. And then reverse prayer is the way you would pray, but instead of having your hands in front of your chest, it's, you know, your fingertips are between on your spine and in between your shoulder blades. Mm and bound that way um what else was it and then you know all of the attachment points she's attached to the loop that looks like a spider web and that's to me that's pretty cool um but it's a lot of fucking rope and the rope is expensive is there a special rope you use for this yeah you you would only want to use either jute that's been treated or uh cotton and properly treated jute um, it's real scratchy and real bindy. Hemp can be used sometimes as well, but you want either hemp, jute, or cotton. Um, nylon will cause rope burns whenever you're like, because you have to pull it through. You have to, and uh, you pull through the rope, you know, through loops and around the body and across, and that'll cause rope burns. And also, um, trying to thought, you're you're talking about hundreds of yards of rope because just for like a bikini harness that's the one that would be kind of across the chest that would either squeeze the boobs together and um kind of be like a strap around the neck um that's probably 30 to 40 feet depending on how how big her chest is like her rib cage now have you had anybody ever freak out while they've been fully tied or in the process of being tied up um i've had a couple yeah that they felt claustrophobic and so there's a saying when, um, when rigging or at least proper rigging etiquette is ropes out, shears out. So if mm. she feels freaked out, then you have your shears within arm's reach at all times or no more than like a foot past arm's reach and you get them out and you cut her out and you know, that's, that's it, the end of the game. But, um, ideally I did, I would prefer to work with, or at least the more intricate is or more intricate work is with women that have had experience with role play and, if they're new to it, then they'll just start with something like a bikini harness. Cause that's where I fucked up is I was trying to do some really crazy, interest, intricate things with a girl that had only been tied up once before. And that was just like her wrists together. And you know, the, I guess over sensory overload kind of got to her and I had to cut it off. And I was, I was pissed because you know, that's the rope is expensive. It's like uh two to $5 a foot, depending if you get a color, depending if you're getting a training beforehand. And you know, so I was like, eh, okay, whatever. So then it's kind of like a lesson learned. Okay, just only play with girls that have experience. Lesson learned. Well, Gallo, I've appreciated the time you've given us, uh, everything you've shared with us. Do you want to tell my audience where they can find you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my podcast is Sucias, or my favorite. Uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, Spreaker, everywhere you can find a podcast, you can find me there. Uh, my website is sucias.xyz. 
And there you'll be able to find my uh, Instagram, TikTok, and those are the bigger ones that I'm on. Sometimes on Snap, but not that often. And if you have any ideas or questions, you can either DM me on Instagram or shoot me an email. My email is also on the website. All right. Thank you. Appreciate you being with us. I hope you're with us. Again, this was very enjoyable. Now, everybody, this has been Truth.com with Truth Be Told Podcast. I'm out.